chapter 28 of the Gospel of Matthew. Praise God, a lot of coughing going on. If you have not noticed out in the lobby, there are two, um, there's two hand wash, hand hygiene, sanitary stations that are out there in the lobby. And so you can take advantage of those so as not to get everybody else sick. Amen. I want you to look around you tonight. Praise God. I want to say a great big thank you to everybody that gave up your seat for the youth conference and you put your hand to the plow and you worked. Because if there would have been this many people at every service during the youth conference, we would have been in serious trouble. <laughs> serious trouble. We put out chairs and probably had more than maximum occupancy, uh, probably close to 1,000 to 1,200 crammed in here. And so many of you did so very, very much to make that possible. Amen. So praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Matthew chapter 28, verse number 11. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city. And showed unto the chief priest all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money. And did as they were taught, and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. I want to speak for a few moments tonight on the God who blinds and the God who opens. But I need to clarify something in the title. The first God is a little G, and the second God is a capital G. So the little God who blinds and the big God who opens. How's that? There's a God that wants to blind and there's a God that wants to open. And we want to talk about that for a few moments tonight. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for the anointing that we feel in the house of God tonight. Instruct us, direct us, challenge us with your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Can be seated. I say the little g God because there is a passage of scripture in which he is so aptly described or named. And that is found in 2 Corinthians chapter number 4 by way of introduction to the little God. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, verse number 1, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God, little g of this world, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. I want you to know tonight that there is a little God that wants to blind, 
But there's a big God in the house tonight, and I felt his presence and his anointing, and he is here to open. There is a way, there's a pathway, there's a trajectory, there is a direction. This passage that we read in the book of Matthew is a chapter where many great passages can be found. One of them is one of the great pronouncements about going into the world. And so it's on the same level as uh, verses of renown, like Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 4, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 5, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19 that was mentioned here tonight. These are great, great passages of Scripture, and you can find in Matthew chapter 28 one such Scripture. We get the commissions of Jesus, two of them in Matthew chapter 28. And there are three commands or there are three imperatives of notability that can be found in this chapter. There is an action that is unleashed to color a worldview that Jesus pronounces to the disciples. And the first uh, of his pronouncements is not what I want to start with tonight. I want to start with the last of his pronouncements. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, everyone say all power. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go, that's the pronouncement, that's the commission, that's the statement. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. All power is in my hand. I want you to go and I want you to make disciples. And the way that you start that endeavor is you baptize them in the name of the Father. Jesus said, I've come in my Father's name. So the name of the Father is Jesus. The name of the Son is the Son and the name of the Son was Jesus. The name of the Holy Ghost, Jesus said, I'm going to send you a comforter, but first I must ascend and then I'll send my spirit, which is the spirit of truth that is going to live in you. The name of the Holy Ghost is Jesus and this is why we baptize in the name of Jesus. Neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be be saved. Jesus said, I want you to go out and proclaim that name. I want you to go out and baptize that people, people in that name. I want you to give them an opportunity to understand that there's a greater power that is in this world, and I'm going to unleash it on the earth. Through a New Testament church, he said, go tell the world. The corpus of Jesus' teaching is make disciples. Go and teach. Go and make disciples. Connect and link up and elevate and encourage and do the work of God. Don't get your focus and your attention on yourself, but get your focus and attention on somebody else to help them along the way so that they can become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us in this building is on a trajectory of becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want you to know right now, I don't want to be a disciple of any other. I don't want to be 
a disciple of any idol or figure in the world. I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to follow his path and his direction. Why? Because there is nothing like the anointing and the power of God that we have felt even in this very building. If we don't have anointing in the house of God, what do we have? It's not going to be a church. Some may want to put up a sign, but you're not having church if you're not feeling the anointing of God. You're not having church if the Holy Ghost is not moving in this house. I thought I'd have a few more people on board with that. If God's not moving in a powerful way and there's not a moving of the Holy Ghost, we're not having church. But if there is a move of his spirit and if there is a touch of God, people can receive the Holy Ghost. An altar can be found. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Go and make disciples. The emphasis is on baptizing in a name. The emphasis is on making disciples and this should become a reality in his teaching of how the disciples should view the world and if that's the reality of those first century disciples it's the same reality of the church today what are we supposed to do we're supposed to make disciples Amen. Elbow your neighbor and say, it's time to make disciples. You may fit somehow in, in many different categories, but we're all trying to make disciples. Hallelujah. And when you start doing that, there's a lot of fun things that start happening. Praise God. Tonight I looked out and I started doing the same thing. You know, some people say, I really don't know what to do to worship. I, I don't know how to worship. That's not really in me and so on and so forth and such. But I'll tell you one way that you can worship is find a new convert and just do what they're doing. And so I started mimicking Anthony. I started feeling the Holy Ghost. He's got all this going on. He's worshiping God. If you don't know what to do, find somebody that God picked them out of the miry clay, dropped them out of where they were, set them on a foundation, and gave them an opportunity and a hope that maketh not ashamed. There's a worship in their heart. It's very easy to get plugged into that. Woo, I said it's very easy to get plugged into that. Jesus said, go make disciples. Amen. Make disciples. That's what, we're, that's what we're about. That should become the reality of the church. Praise God. This is not a dead gospel, but it's a lively gospel. And so Jesus, at the end of Matthew chapter 28, talks about the path the teaching and the making of disciples, but he said, all power is in my hand. What did, he, what did he mean by having all power? The second command that Jesus gave in that one chapter is in the first through eight verses of chapter 28. Let's look at it. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keeper did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. 
He is not here, for he is risen. And he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay, verse 7, and go. This is the command, just like go ye into all the world. In this particular case, he said, go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him, lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples word. And the word that they were supposed to bring was, go tell them he is risen. We do not serve a dead God. He's not a monument somewhere. We serve a living God. I want him to be alive. I want him to work. And so there is a commission here. Go tell the world that he is risen. He has taken the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And there is all power in his hand. Are you thankful tonight that he has the power to take situations that look like they are death and say, you don't have to accept that? Are you thankful tonight that no matter what the report is, there is a God that is able to supersede the report? There is a God that can say, you don't have to follow fear and doubt and unbelief because I am a God of power. Nobody's going to serve a dead God, but people will get on board to serve a living God. Let there be a living God in the house. Let there be a living, thriving God that has power in his hand thrive in the house of God. Clap your hands and thank the Lord together that we serve a God that conquers. A God that is well able to do above and beyond what we could even think or ask. He is well able. Right in the middle of these two great commands, we have read in the opening scripture that the God who blinds says to those soldiers, chief priests tell the soldiers say ye this is the command his disciples came at night and stole his body away and we'll pay you money and stand behind you if anybody asks you what happened there is a manipulation there there is a there is a covering there this is a great nightmare for the chief priests they thought that Jesus this pestilent thorn in their side was gone. They know that they have to cover this. And so they tell them and pay them money to lie about what really happened. And they refuse to face reality and they instead fabricate a lie. And in so doing, they align themselves with the devil the little God of this world that desires to blind, who has greater things at stake here. Did you know you're in a spiritual battle here in this place here tonight? The devil's great problem is this. He had controlled death and the grave, but now it's gone if Jesus has arisen. Jesus stripped away his power. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 4, but God who is rich in mercy... 
for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. For by grace are you saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in him we were dead in sins and he has quickened us Jesus Christ if he would have remained in the grave wouldn't have power of the grave but when he comes out of the grave he has power of the grave and the devil had always had that ability he had always had that particular skill but now it is stripped away from him because there is a savior that steps in and out of the rubric and the dimensions and the structures of what is life and death and he comes forward with power in his hand and so therefore you got to cover that you got to try to manipulate that you got to try somehow to control that and so his commission or his command is to deceive and propagate a lie His goal is to change and mask true reality. And so he specializes, the, the little God that wants to blind, in extending the forbidden fruit to many different, in many different ways. He does the same thing to Eve in the garden. He does it with Judas and money. And he masquerades as something that he is not. He's trying to manipulate and control the facts. He's trying to deceive. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11 and 13. For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. He is a master at marketing sin. He's a master at it. The scripture said that there is, there is pleasure in sin for a season. And so he leverages that because sin is pleasurable in its beginning stages. And he's really, really good at how he markets that. But down the road, nobody tells you and nobody points out the end result. You're searching and trying to find something that will not satisfy. I'm absolutely convinced that if you've received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, there is nothing else in the world that will ever, ever come close to that. Praise God. I wish I had somebody that tried all that stuff. I wish I had somebody in this place that was addicted to all that stuff that would stand up and be a testimony here tonight to say, I've done it. I tried it. It, it, was, it, was, a, it was fool's gold. It didn't satisfy me. It didn't help me. Oh, but in the house of God, the Holy Ghost gave me exactly what I was looking for. Is there anybody like that in the house of God tonight? Praise 
praise God. And for those of you that haven't tried any of that stuff, would you look at these testimonies and recognize that the devil has got nothing for you, but God's got everything for you. The little God wants to blind, but the big God wants to open up your world to understanding that I can provide everything to you. God. He tries to mask what is true reality, and he specializes in extending the forbidden fruit in many different ways. He masquerades. He is transformed into an angel of light. He is a master at marketing sin, and he markets to every demographic, and he has studied every angle and every human condition, and he is a master of illusion. An illusionist will tell you it's all sleight of hand. He's a master of illusion. Magazines and social media have been exposed time and again for photoshopping and doctoring images to the point where people look like stick figures and body parts are disproportionately sized, etc., etc., because somebody is manipulating what is reality. Praise God. I want to tell you tonight, reality is in this place right here. Reality is is the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Hallelujah. That's reality. The devil wants to present an illusion, and he sends people on this, uh, this track trying to find it. He's really good at, at smoke and mirror tactics, and it drives the engine of all of these social ramifications and our culture. Consumers will line up to feed in the trough of what appears to be real but is really not. At some point, they become disillusioned, the appetite that they build, and it produces within them an existence that is rooted in a fairy tale. The church has got to step up and say that's really not reality and we are not going that way but we're going the way that is reality and it's the truth of God it's the hand of God it's the voice of God it's the ability of God hallelujah hallelujah it's the example of God anybody hearing what I'm talking about it's the anointing of God we're not chasing after a dream and smoke and an illusion what we're chasing after is the blood of Jesus Christ that washes and cleanses us. What we're chasing after is the Holy Ghost that empowers us. I don't want to be controlled by anything but the Spirit of God. These examples are byproducts of a game that has greater stake we don't recognize it and realize that we're in deep, deep trouble. It's not just smoke and mirrors about things that don't really matter. Your soul is at stake. You come to the house of God with a seriousness about your soul. I want to be saved. I don't want to be entertained. I want to be saved. I want the Holy Ghost to form and to fashion. Me. There is something greater, greater at stake. The devil is interested in your soul. And the way to destroy a soul is to dismantle it with sin. And it's not glamorous. 
It produces confusion. It produces self-esteem problems. It produces anxiety. It produces stress. It produces all kinds of coping mechanisms as the devil tries to dismantle somebody's calling and somebody's anointing. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. If you feel like I've gone too far, I've been stretched too much, I'll never get where I, where I once was, I want to tell you, you can get there through the power of God's anointing and his ability. If he steps out of a grave, he's able to do the same thing in your life. Doesn't matter what the devil has lied to you and told you and you followed an illusion and you're dissatisfied with it, there's a God that can step in and say, let me elevate reality to you. This is reality. I've called you. Your anointing was placed on your life and you've got a purpose. Glamorization of sin and its effects on ancient men of God like Samson revealed to us its tragic consequences. Look at Samson. Samson started out as a man called of God, separated, sanctified to be a Nazarite in the sight of the Lord. He was not to drink wine or strong drink. He was not to eat any unclean thing. There was no razor that was supposed to come on his head. God sanctified him for a purpose and put a call of God on his life. He was devoted to God. He was consecrated to God. He was separated to God. And so there were some specific outward functions that described that experience. The growth of hair, the abstention from wine, the avoidance of contacts with, with the dead. These were all examples of devotion and so Samson had one of the one of the few in the scripture that took a Nazarite vow we know Samson was one we know John the Baptist was one we know that Samuel was one there are very few that take that particular vow and so God elevated them in their calling and in their world Samson had a great opportunity but he followed a pattern and he found that sin is not content to simply leave you alone. It doesn't work that way. It simply doesn't bite you once and then disappears. But there is a progression. And what he tries to do with an illusion is dismantle a calling of God in someone's life. Oh, I feel, I feel like fighting the devil here tonight. Praise God. If you've got a calling of God on your life, the devil wants to do his very best to tear that down. And so he markets all of this stuff. Samson wanted a wife, and he wanted a Philistine woman. And so it was outside the bounds of Hebrew practice. And so he thought to himself, I'll step across the line this one time. I'll come right back, and it will be fine. What can it hurt? But this becomes a mode of practice in his life. It becomes a practice in his marriage. He starts touching a dead animal. He starts partying with the Philistines. There's a progression and a desensitization. There's no arresting of his conscience. And so what sin all of a sudden reveals? to him is I will take you farther down the road than you want to go. You can't play with sin. You, 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 can't, you can't control it. Once it's out of control in your life, you're the one that loses control and it starts controlling you. Can I tell you that the Holy Ghost is never intended to drive you farther away and into the recesses of dysfunction. The Holy Ghost is to empower you to give you purpose and meaning in life. The big God wants to open your mind. 
mind. But the little God wants to blind you from the things that God desires in your life. Hallelujah. And so the devil is very, very good at manipulating and to controlling. And Samson followed this pathway. Sin always takes you farther down the road than you want to go. Samson might have thought he could handle what he was doing, but we find ourselves trying to think for him when Delilah's wanting to know where his strength is. And finally, he gives up that strength. There has not been a razor upon my head, for I've been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Delilah saw that, and she called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, He's told me everything, and they came and brought money in their hand. Samson realized that sin always keeps you longer than you want to stay. The little God wants to blind. Samson's following the pathway of becoming blinded because he doesn't realize the effects and the illusion and the besiegement on his soul of sin. Sin never delivers on its promise. And people keep going back for more, hoping it will fulfill on its promise. I've told you multiple times about a basketball player played for the Los Angeles Lakers by the name of Lamar Odom that in an interview exclaimed to the interviewer, I wish I would never have ever tried crack because it seems like my entire life has been trying to chase that elusive first high. Sin is like this. It never delivers on its promise and people always go back hoping somehow that it will fulfill on its promise. So Delilah made, makes Samson sleep, shaves off the locks of his hair. He awakens and tries to shake himself, but he realizes that he has lost everything. He's lost his leadership. He has lost his sight, the God of this world, the little God of this world, wants to blind Samson's eyes are removed. Can I just, can I be a preacher in 2020 and say that sin will destroy your life? I know that's not popular anymore because people don't talk about sin anymore. They talk about positive mental attitudes and thinking. But, but I'm convinced in 2020 people want to know that there's, there's a way out of my situation. That sin that is so very, very destructive. There is a God that knows how to step in and there is a fix my problem in my situation. You can't tone down the nature of sin. Some people deny the reality of it and they deceive themselves and they make God a liar. Others laugh at it, but the Bible says fools make a mock of sin. Still others take pride in their sin. The most at dangerous attitude towards sin is to tone it down in its awfulness. And so psychology calls sin a maladjustment and biology labels it as a disease. Ethics suggests it's a moral lapse. Philosophy regards it as a stumbling 
in the upward progress of, of the human race. But the Bible, the Bible calls it sin. You know what God wants to do? God wants to cover what sin has done. Calvary was no accident. He died for what purpose? To make our salvation a reality. To restore what had been lost. Don't listen to the wrong salesman. Oh, but understand that there is a God that wants to redeem you and your situation from the hand of the enemy. I can't get stuck on the little God that wants to blind me. God, can you open up an avenue to see the big God that wants to open to me an understanding of your will and your ability? Praise God. It was already mentioned in the house of God here tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 19. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. You know what God wants to do? He wants to reconcile us to him. That's the church's business. That is to reconcile people to the presence of God and the anointing of God. Hallelujah. It's the church that becomes the hands and the feet that says it doesn't matter where you are or how far you've gone. There's still a God that is reaching out a hand to you. Hallelujah. It's a nail-scarred hand and blood was shed that washes and covers and renews and redeems. Oh, is there anybody in this place that is thankful for the redemption of God? If there is, would you stand to your feet and lift your hands and begin to thank God? Hallelujah. As we extend an invitation tonight for somebody to be redeemed to God. Hallelujah. Come on, all over the sanctuary. Praise God. Come on, lift up your voice and let's pray for a few moments. It's the business of the church. It's the business of the church to present a word of reconciliation to say sin may have destroyed, sin may have taken you somewhere, but there's a God that can't change everything. God's intention is to open our eyes to his will. The devil's intention is to blind us from what is reality. People are in this world and they are taken captive by their own will. They are captives. Not time to look out there and think there's something out there. That's captivity. Oh, but when you enter into the sanctuary and you feel the anointing of God like we have felt in this place, it's like coming out of Egypt into a promised land. I don't have to go to a club somewhere. I don't have to shoot something up my veins. I don't have to drink something so that I can get away from stuff. I can come to the house of God and I can lift my voice in my hands and I can feel his powerful anointing that we feel right now in this place tonight. As God reaches, as God reaches, as God reaches, as God reaches. Praise God. I'm, I'm extending an invitation for somebody tonight to step out of a pew and say, God, I'm coming to you. I want you to open. I want you to open some things in my life. My situation has closed some things. I've shut the door. I've shut the door on you. I've got you closed out and boxed out. But in the house of God tonight, you're able to open some things to me so that I can see clearly 
not blinded by everything else in the world that is around me. You may be in situations and relationships and circumstances and all kinds of stuff in your world. Tonight's an opportunity to say, God, open, open to me the vision and the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding. I need your anointing. I need your presence. I need your ability. I don't want to walk right through life blinded by the hand of the enemy. Eyes that are plucked out, but God, give me a greater vision. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, saints of God, as we gather in tonight and pray for these that have gathered together, I want you to step forth and I want you to put your hand on somebody and pray with him. God, elevate us, strengthen us. I worship you and praise you. Nobody else can do what God can do. Praise God. If you need the Holy Ghost tonight, there is a God that opens a door for you to his spirit and his presence. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. There's a God that opens up to you his power and his ability. I can't do it on my own, but there's a God. make it on my own, but there's a God that can open up and empowerment and strength, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, let there be a prayer warrior in this house tonight. Thank you, Lord. Praise you and worship you. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah.